This is Reset. I'm Taylor Faye Nazone. Today we're going to be talking about a fairly mature topic. So if you've got little ones in the car or are sensitive to conversations around sex and or sexual assault, please listen with discretion. So as you know, it's Labor Day and there is absolutely no way we can talk about Labor Day without talking about workers' rights. As we've seen with Amazon and Starbucks, more and more industries have been unionizing, and we've been seeing workers across the globe striking for better working conditions. But there are still many professions where the labor is dangerous and remains unprotected. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most vulnerable professions. We're going to be talking about the sex work industry. We have two incredible guests joining us, and I am going to introduce them in a moment. But before we get to them, I just want to say the topic of sex work is nuanced and contentious, and there is a lot to unpack. We will not do all that unpacking here today in the short time that we have together. But what I'm hoping we will do is lay the foundation for you to start thinking about this topic in a deeper way. In order to lay that foundation, we, we got to start at the basics. And I can think of no two guests better to guide that conversation than Rebel C and Audrey Wynn. Rebel C is a writer and activist and founder of Ho History. That's H-E-A-U-X. It's a multimedia archive that explores the history of Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers and erotic labor. Welcome to the show, Rebel. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And we also have Audrey Wynn, who is an attorney in the U.S. Department of Labor, where she focuses on enforcing and expanding workplace protections for vulnerable workers. Welcome to Reset, Audrey. Thanks for having me. Okay. So as I said, we are going to start at the basics. So imagine y'all two are the teachers, and we, we, we got, we're going to start with the alphabet. Okay, so Rebel. Let's establish some shared definitions as we start off this discussion. Can you start by just defining what sex work is and who exactly is categorized as a sex worker? Without looking it up, <laughs> I would say um, sex work is the labor underneath the adult entertainment industry umbrella. So mm-hmm. this would include uh, anyone from, you know, uh, phone sex operators to strippers to uh, full service sex workers and all the spaces in between and after that. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that definition because I think that context is important because for folks who are like unfamiliar with the topic, they may only think of like escorting or prostitution as sex work. But as you named, I mean, there are a lot of careers that fall under that umbrella. So, Rebel, one of the topics that you touch on in your work is the importance of safety for sex workers. Can you talk us through the vulnerabilities that sex workers face in their day-to-day lives? Um, I think right now a huge theme that we're seeing in online spaces, is, uh, especially after SESTA-FOSTA and just sort of these uh, legislations and laws that affect us in online spaces and also on the ground is um, the stigmatization that's attached mm-hmm. to what we do. And um, when you take that and you take marginalized identities and different demographics and mix it all in the pot, there are different realities that come out, right? And so the first thing that I think of, because I live in Chicago, of course, on the South Side, and um, I think of like Washington Park and Garfield Park and, um, excuse me, because sensitive subject matter, Mm -hmm. but... um, the various sex workers who have lost their lives in both areas and neighborhoods. Um, And I think we see cases like this across the country, right, where black and brown sex workers are targeted 
um, and it's sort of dismissed for a good 10, 20, almost 30, 40 mm -hmm. years because this is viewed as social cleansing. Also, this is a marginalized community that's looked down upon and stigmatized, and they also don't have certain rights um, or even like viewed as human beings, which is why they have NHI in place um, when they are talking about sex workers mm -hmm. who've lost their lives in this way. And can I just pause right here? I do want to say NHI okay. is no human involved. So for folks who are unfamiliar with that, and yeah, I really appreciate you you laying that out. I mean, one of the tough parts about the sex worker industry is that they endure a lot of stigma, but the, the, the issues they're enduring are not just structural, they're also interpersonal, right? So the stigma is interpersonal, and then we have all of the structural things that you just named that are also barriers for folks getting safety. So Audrey, I want to loop you in here. So your work was really informed by conversations and advocacy you did with sex workers in Europe. Um, can you take us back to that time and, and tell us about your work and the things that you learned? Definitely. So um, I'm an attorney at the DOL now. Obviously, all opinions are my own here. But I first got really interested in sex work while doing a fellowship in Europe that um, was meant to explore the different criminalization or non-criminalization models. So Europe is really interesting because of the plurality of ways in which it regulates sex work. Um, in parts of Eastern Europe, sex work remains criminalized. Um, in the Nordic area, there's an end-demand criminalization model where it's illegal to buy, but it's not illegal to sell. In the Czech Republic, um, it's totally decriminalized but not regulated. And then in the Netherlands, which I think is how um, you know most Americans think of sex work in Europe, uh, sex work is both decriminalized and regulated. So the purpose of my research there, um, and actually a lot of research there at the time um, in the context of sex work, was to look and see which of these models was most effective in protecting sex workers and promoting their self, like safety and health. Um, I think, you know, as years went on, it's it's come out that many of these models have failed. Mm mostly because they were done from the top down, meaning they weren't informed by what the sex workers actually wanted or needed. Um, and, you know, in that way, kind of continued cycles of violence, financial exploitation, and trauma. To follow up, in your work, how, how did you see policy and legislation impact the day-to-day -day lives of, of the sex workers you were working with? Sure. A lot of the work I did was with um, women and women identifying people in Amsterdam. Uh, and in that model or context, uh, the work was regulated and decriminalized, but uh, there were still a lot of inequities going on. So because the people making the laws had not themselves been sex workers and because many sex workers um, were still highly stigmatized and not able to participate in like a meaningful way in in the regulation process. Many of the things they most wanted, like better access to healthcare or like cheaper room rates. For example, the average sex worker I spoke with had to sleep with four to five people a day just to cover the charges of like her workspace. Mm. Yeah, because of things like that, the law didn't really have a positive day-to-day -day impact, even though it was better than the other models across Europe. So 
the history of sex work is long. I think it's it's longer than most people realize. And Rebel, part of your work, you spend a lot of time studying the history of sex workers across the country. What movements have happened here in the U.S. that have resulted in sex worker protections? And like, what are those protections currently look like? Or what does that organizing currently look like around that work? Of course, because we center Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers, we've seen a long line of history in the United States, especially since the early 1900s, where um, sex workers of color, especially in metropolitan areas and major cities, are sort of the infrastructure or help develop the infrastructure of their cities. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I would say some of the movements that stand out to me that I find really meaningful in our research, um, the first one that comes up is sort of uh, the Lusty Lady Strike, Um, which happened in San Francisco. They were, if I'm not mistaken, the first um, strip club, the first exotic dance space to unionize. Mm. And um, someone that really stands out for for me out of that group is Siobhan Brooks, who most of the organizers were non-Black organizers who were Mm. exotic dancers, but something that she really brought to the table was racial analysis as far as anti-Blackness is concerned and how Black sex workers and in this this particular instance, how black strippers and exotic dancers were affected in that particular space. Something we found in our research is that the idea around house fees and strip clubs is directly connected to racism mm. and geographic location and the value attached to your erotic labor in those spaces and wanting to keep certain folks um, undesirables and waywards right out of those spaces. I would also say strippers strike New York, which is particularly Mm -hmm. Black-centered. So they're calling attention to anti-Blackness, colorism, futurism, texturism, which is really important. Um, And then I would also say just the overall movement that you see with sex workers, probably since the early 2000s, who have been able to utilize online spaces to get their messages across, create Mm -hmm. um, creative and theoretical work that involves pro-sex worker theory. and everything that falls into that category, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I appreciate you bringing up unionizing. I, I'm, I'm curious, Rebel, I mean, what you think about unionizing as an answer for gaining these protections, kind of with that sort of context in mind, how you think uh, unions come into the conversation? I started off in the exotic dance industry. I have experience in other lanes of sex work. Um, But I think that when I started, um, contracts were a huge deal for me and seeing the language around um, whether you're a sole proprietor or an employee and then Mm. what falls under (laughs) that. And I think Um, like I was describing in some of the movements that stood out and shame on me for not mentioning Stonewall because I should have. Um, But I would say that um, unionization in those spaces um, helped for those reasons. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times when we're talking about erotic labor um, and sex work, which they're related but not necessarily the same, but a lot of things that 
we see come up in these conversations is pay, hiring and firing practices, anti-blackness and colorism and texturism in these spaces, mm -hmm. and how easily um, managers and ownership and um, the folks who run these spaces can get away with those things because this is an erotic labor space right. where people think those protections don't exist. And so mm -hmm. um, I think unionization is important in that sense, in that, um, we're reading our contracts, our contractual agreements, that we're having conversations amongst ourselves and what those contractual agreements look like. And then also what autonomy for us looks like in those spaces. And then agreeing to make sure that we seek out certain stipulations, that we're making sure that the hiring and firing practices are a little bit more fair, that we're addressing anti-Blackness, that we're addressing ableism, that we're addressing uh, transphobia, so on and so forth. I do think that the more that we're able to utilize different spaces that we're in, um, in this conversation, like online spaces, for instance, or developing archives or making sure that we're creating creative and theoretical work. Also, the phrase, nothing about us without us, which is what mm. you're doing now, making sure you're having a conversation about sex work with sex workers right I'm sure articles are written with sex workers in mind and actually talking to them and listening to what they um what they prefer i think the most important thing in these conversations is that we're recognizing that sex workers rights are human rights mm -hmm. yeah nothing about us without us I, I love that saying and so thinking about unions audrey this is a, a perfect segue into you so your work in 2015 discussed exclusion of sex workers from the u.s labor movement and you were a strong advocate for labor unions allowing sex workers into their membership um, but seven years later in 2022 as rebel just highlighted the sex workers in the u.s still remain largely unprotected what do you think the barriers have been for establishing those protections for sex workers in the united states I mean, I think there were a number of barriers when I was making the pitch. The first was that many were working as independent contractors, and unions have historically only worked in employee settings. You know, this has been a problem in a lot of different bases as future of work and as gig economy becomes, like, more normalized. Um, unions have been really reluctant to turn away from the historical employee bases and operate in like this new and evolving context. Mm -hmm. Another issue was this idea of solidarity, which I think was totally colored by both racism, ageism, and um, outdated views on what a workforce should look like. Mm -hmm. Basically, the narrative I heard again and again was that, you know, sex workers operate as lone wolves basically the idea that there wasn't enough of a steady base that solidarity could happen and be possible. Finally, I think the third reason pitching this to unions is really difficult was the stigma. Um, unions have these historical bases that they haven't wanted to stray from. Auto workers, teachers, mm -hmm. or like a lot of these clearly defined working groups the idea that sex workers could be part of their union just was not appealing. And I think that that, you know, is rooted in a lot of the same biases as Rebel's already spoken about. Uh, since 2018, there's been more of a push for sex workers 
to make their own unions as mm. opposed to join, you know, existing or other unions. It's pretty hopeful to see that out there. In the meantime, I mean, just like in the rest of the labor movement, there's been so much amazing work done by workers' centers and workers' collectives and mutual aid groups. And I think that's the most interesting work because it's the work being led by those most affected and um, most aware of their working conditions. So I'm thinking of groups like the Sex Workers Outreach Project in Chicago. So like as unions, you know, refuse to represent only a small chunk of this workforce, these groups are coming in to fill that void in really kind of rad and progressive ways. Yeah, I love that. And I'm so grateful for the time that you all had with me today. Um, that is Audrey Wynn, a trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Labor, where she focuses on enforcing and expanding workplace protections for vulnerable workers. And we've also been speaking with Rebel, a writer, activist, and director of the Whole History Project. You can learn more about it on Twitter and Instagram using the handle H-E-A-U-X History. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you both. Taylor nailed it. Yeah, really impressive. Really enjoyed the interview. I, I learned a ton. I just loved how it tied into workers' rights. I think it's important to take a look at all workers. There are a lot of workers out there that get overlooked mm -hmm. in society, in our economy. I'm thinking about gig workers, for example, uh, those childcare workers that we heard uh, from earlier in the hour. Home health aides come to mind for me, too. Yeah, thanks for bringing us that conversation, Taylor. Up next, you are used to hearing her reporting on topics like religion, culture, and COVID-19. Now hear Adora Namigade hosting Reset. Adora sat down with Michael Darling. He's the co-founder of Museum Exchange, and that's the world's first digital platform for art donations. Sounds a little esoteric, but this next interview is a fascinating look at what happens when you work to find new audiences for artists who are sometimes overlooked, especially women artists and artists of color. That interview and much more just ahead here on Reset. Stay tuned.